Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week in the Taming the Shrew podcast, where we are recapping our most recent journal club. This week, we're going to be talking about the use of vector change defibrillation versus dual sequence defibrillation versus standard defibrillation. And we'll be joined by Dr. Colleen Lawrence, who will recap the article for us. So for my journal club article, I reviewed uh, Sheldon Cheska's et al.'s article, Double Sequential External Defibrillation for Refractory Ventricular Fibrillation, uh, the DOSE-VF Pilot Randomized Controlled Trial. And this appeared in the journal Resuscitation in February 2020 and has been a hot topic of discussion since then. Uh, because it revisits uh, the contentious topic of uh, double sequence defibrillation for refractory VFib. And specifically, uh, the team in this case examined the safety and feasibility of a cluster randomized control trial with crossover assessing double sequence defibrillation and vector change defibrillation against standard defibrillation for refractory VFib. And um, I'm going to apologize now for all the sentences that have uh, the very long word defibrillation. Let me just take a moment at this point to make sure that we're all on the same page uh, for the terms that I just threw around kind of willy-nilly. So I'll begin with refractory VFib. This is defined as ventricular fibrillation, which persists after three standard defibrillation attempts with pads in the standard anterior lateral positioning. Though patients with ventricular fibrillation have a decreased risk of mortality with early definitive care, the longer a patient remains in VFib, the higher the mortality. That's not surprising for any of us. Some people estimate that the mortality for those in refractory VFib are as high as 97%. Vector change defibrillation refers to uh, switching the pads from uh, the standard anterior lateral position to the anterior posterior position. And the rationale for this is uh, that when defibrillation fails, fibrillation typically resumes in the region of the heart that received the lowest voltage, which is the posterior aspect of the heart. So placing the pads in the anterior posterior position allows for providers to deliver shocks uh, that more directly affect the affected myocardium and thus kind of decrease the impedance. And this is also part of the rationale for double sequence defibrillation. Um, so double sequence defibrillation in this case refers to the placement of an additional set of pads in addition to the anterior lateral position. And these go in the anterior uh, posterior position, same as in vector change. And then uh, you deliver two individual shocks by two different defibrillators in quick sequence, not simultaneously. And uh, ideally by keeping uh, both uh, the anterior lateral uh, pads in place, uh, double sequence defibrillation adds an additional voltage um, through the second shock and may um, theoretically capitalize on kind of a conditioning or a priming first shock that's delivered and allows for kind of more su successful sequential um, defibrillation. All right, so um, hopefully we are now all speaking kind of the same language. Um, so I'll bring it back to uh, the study and its objectives. As I mentioned, uh, the primary outcome was uh, the feasibility and the safety of this, of this trial. Um, the secondary outcomes are uh, rate of ventricular fibrillation termination and ROSC in the intention to treat analysis. And these objectives are probably more intriguing for the majority of us. These are um, what we're going to gravitate to as they could be uh, potentially practice changing. But I think it's important to stress that this was not the primary objective of this pilot. It was safety and feasibility, as I already mentioned. And previous research on this topic um, has been uh, less rigorous, generally speaking. It's been mostly case series as well as observational studies. And, you know, by default, they've necessarily focused on patients for whom 
Um, these therapies are the last resort. They're often performed later in the resuscitation. And so they're necessarily going to be less uh, likely to lead to a successful conversion um, more often than not. So um, the authors of this study are hoping essentially that this pilot is going to set the stage for a larger uh, randomized control trial, which is going to examine the question of whether vector change or double sequence defibrillation leads to higher rates of VFib termination in ROS. Unclear whether they also plan to study uh, other outcomes such as uh, functional kind of neurologic, uh, you know, neurologic outcomes and uh, daily activities. So in order to, uh, to look at this question, um, they adopted a cluster randomized controlled trial um, design with crossover. And this was done uh, amongst four paramedic services in rural and urban Ontario, Canada, between March 8th, uh, 2018 and September 9th, 2019. Essentially, what they did was the four paramedic uh, services were randomly assigned to either provide a standard defibrillation, vector change defibrillation, or double sequence defibrillation for six months. And then they were crossed over to another one of three strategies for at least another three months for a total of nine months of data collection. They only included patients aged 18 years and older, and they excluded patients with uh, pulses VCAP, traumatic arrest, DNR orders, um, or arrests thought to be secondary to hypothermia, overdose, hanging, or drowning. Things that uh, might be of interest um, or of note, um, they use both Zoll and LifePak defibrillators, which kind of uh, importantly defibrillate at different voltages. In terms of their their process, um, VFib was defined as uh, having failed uh, having failed three defibrillation attempts with pads in the standard position, but they only counted the shocks that were delivered by the EMS service and didn't necessarily count those that were administered by fire departments prior to EMS arrival. That's going to be something that comes up later as, um, as a question and as a possible limitation in the study. Um, and one thing I wanted to hi highlight at this point um, that I think the study did really well um, is that they provided adequate time uh, after the randomization of the paramedic services um, to the different arms of the study so that they could prepare for the intervention, both with um, video training as well as in-person uh, sims, um, so that they could uh, adjust how are we going to apply um, or transition uh, the pads at, um, after shock three. Um, when they haven't converted, um, or conversely, how are we going to, you know, arrange for the one paramedic to, you know, defibrillate sequentially with both pads in place? And uh, they were also given um, a lot of feedback throughout the entire course of the study by a medical direction, um, which is really laudable, um, but um, also of note uh, may not always be reasonable or feasible um, for all. Um, EMS crews or studies. So at this point, um, you want to know what the results of the study are. So the a priori criteria um, for feasibility uh, was that they could successfully deliver the assigned therapy to 80% of eligible patients, um, allowing for the, kind of the reality that a second defibrillator may not always be available, um, depending on the uh, EMS unit. The other criteria was that 80% of the enrolled patients would get the intervention shock um, before the sixth um, shock. And in evaluating safety outcomes, they kind of did a, a more qualitative um, assessment looking at damage to defibrillator machines, chest wall burns um, sustained by the patient, and any other concerns that were expressed by paramedics, ED staff, uh, patients, families, et cetera. 
Um, they ended up enrolling about um, 152 patients. They determined uh, that the study was both feasible and safe. They uh, determined that it was feasible with 89% of patients uh, getting the assigned therapy, whether it was vector control um, or double sequence defibrillation. And then 77% of patients uh, got the assigned therapy by the fourth shock, um, which is pretty impressive. Um, and 93% had their assigned um, therapy by the sixth shock. So with regard to some of the uh, secondary objectives, and are, I think, a little bit more inclined to focus on, even though that was so ROSC was obtained in 25% of the standard diffusion group. So we typically do um, as part of our ACLs um, protocol. Um, and this is compared to 39% of the vector change group and 40% of the double sequence defibrillation group. Important to note that they didn't provide confidence intervals uh, for um, any of these statistics. So that's something that we can look forward to within the actual larger RCT study. So for, uh, for uh, the ROSC, um, uh, this generally held um, on arrival to the ED as well. Patients arriving um, with standard um, standard defibrillation, 19.4% um, still had ROSC at that point compared to um, about 25% of uh, patients with a vector change um, defibrillation and about 33% of those with double sequence. So as we look at the results and uh, kind of judge whether uh, whether they apply to our situation um, here in Cincinnati and um, when we work in this shrew, um, there are a few things that uh, certainly strengthen the validity of this uh, of this study, and other things that um, should give us pause. It's obviously an RCT. Um, this limits bias. It establishes a control for comparison. That's all wonderful. Um, it had a pragmatic cluster design um, with class, uh, with crossover, which just thinking about it from a research perspective allows for efficient data collection. And the intention to treat analysis um, mimics real-world data settings where there may or may not be a second defibrillator available. And finally, um, thinking about the patient catchment area where they worked, um, it was both rural and urban. So you have uh, different variables reflected in both the patient demographics and in the capabilities of their spawning uh, paramedic units. So all these attributes really have to be balanced against certain limitations, that said. So the authors note that enrollment in the standard arm of the trial was lower than in either intervention arm because the uh, largest enrollment site wasn't uh, randomized uh, to the standard arm of the study. And ideally speaking, um, all three arms would be relatively comparable in size and in other features. Um, but in the pilot, uh, the majority of patients were um, enrolled were uh, from urban sites where they were more likely to be you know, kind of second defibrillators or where paramedic services may have different training um, or oversight. I already mentioned that there was also about 28% of patients who received defibrillation attempts at the fire department before a paramedic service uh, arrived. And these shocks uh, were not counted in the definition of refractory VFib. So it's possible that patients may have received um, double sequence defibrillation later than they should have. That aspect is going to be addressed in the main uh, randomized controlled trial. Um, it just wasn't adjusted for in the pilot. And then finally, this study took place in Canada where they actually have higher rates of bystander CPR response than we do in the US. Um, and so that's necessarily going to um, affect you know, favorably uh, patient outcomes. Um, so when I think about how this is going to affect us in uh, since he and my own practice in the shrew, you know, one, um, I've already said that this is a pilot study, so we shouldn't really be reaching for those extra pads and changing our practices just yet. Um, even with the secondary outcomes that suggest kind of improved ventricular fibrillation termination in ROSC. And we also have other modalities of care, um, specifically ECMO, 
um, that are available in uh, tertiary care centers um, that we should consider um, for our refractory VFID patients um, and which have demonstrated improved mortality and neurologic outcomes. And this study didn't look at either, either of those outcomes specifically, which arguably have more relevance and importance. And I've already highlighted um, a few other kind of methodologic uh, issues with this study. Um, that should give us pause. So kind of in wrapping up, I'm going to reference uh, the famous Einstein quote. Um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So uh, maybe with these patients in refractory BFib um, who have failed standard ACLS care, we need to change it up. Um, and I'm not going to advise any changes when I'm speaking with my EMS crews right now um, or even in kind of my operations in the shrew because I think both double sequence defibrillation and vector change defibrillation requires some coordination and training that could delay standard care. But that being said, I'm gonna look forward to the results of the main randomized control trial uh, currently underway and kind of prime myself to be open to those results and to make a decision then. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hopefully you'll join in next week when we're gonna be covering the use of bicarb in cardiac arrest. Take care, be well, I'll see you around.